so grateful, so thankful to place my hand on my heart. To take a breath of love and gratitude and to be grateful and thankful for this beautiful day and the opportunity to sit out and enjoy breezes and the sunlight. So grateful and so thankful to open ourselves to the infinite intelligence, divine love and goodness that is our very nature. We are grateful and thankful to come together in the love of God as the love of God shining forth. We are grateful and thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self to remember and rest in our holiness. We are grateful to share our expansion, our healing, our letting go, our realizations and everything that's unfolding with everyone because we're one with them. So grateful for the oneness. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. 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 Mm-hmm. So, anybody have any ahas over the lunch break? <coughs> Anything? Absolutely, I do. We did it. We moved in the <laughs> amount of time that we said we were going to do it. We had support. We did it. Emily Walk, not Emily. Um. Carol walked <laughs> from our new place, and it was a challenge, but we got through it. Awesome. Very good. We made it here. Yeah. We did it. Yay. Happy to be here. Yay, God. All right. Hmm. Yeah, and you're going to, ha- do you have views over there to the east? From your room? I think we do. Yeah, we that do? way. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. Then you'll, if you're up, you'll see the beautiful sunrise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, time to get the third floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're on the first floor. Now. Oh, you're on the first floor? We're on the first floor now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we moved to another floor. It's a blessing. It's a real blessing. Yeah. No stairs. Oh, that's <laughs> because you know we were on the third floor and no elevator. Yeah. And we had, I had a big heavy suitcase, and I thought. Wow, I think we're the only two people in the whole building. Yeah. We never saw anybody else yeah. ever. We never said hello <laughs> to anybody. We just, I'm thinking they stuck to the, on the third floor. And this whole big building, you know, and, and no elevator, but they're building an elevator, which we were very happy but about. But I did see a gentleman this morning, and I wanted to just you talk did? to that Did you think he was a guest? Yeah. You thought he was a guest? I don't know, because I asked for to break my time. <laughs> <laughs> It was already broken. <laughs> when well, we had to say a couple things. Did you call for the car? I mean, right. we just, you know. <laughs> no, but we, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, what's your uh, uh, definition of aversion? Aversion? Aversion. Was it like obstacles of some sort? When you're repulsed. A repulse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you uh, just like, oh, I hate that. can't stand that. Aversion. Yeah. We have to overcome aversions, right? Well, you know what? I, I say let's heal them. Heal them. Yeah, rather than just overcome them. Let's heal them so we don't <coughs> have them anymore. And uh, one of the teachings that I have found most helpful is regarding uh, aversions and craving. So in uh, the teachings of Buddha, he talks about how... Uh, all 
suffering comes from attachments. And he teaches that attachments come in two kinds, aversions and cravings. So cravings are, I need it, I want it, I've got to have it, I want to have it. Uh, and the grasping and the craving is go together a lot of the time. And it creates a tremendous amount of suffering. And that's one kind of attachment. And then uh, I say there are two flavors, and the other flavor is aversion. I hate that. I can't stand that. I don't like that. I wish it were different. It's kind of the repulsion of some sort. So those are the it can be sources of suffering. Well, an, a, aversion is really like, ah, you want to avert your eyes. You want to get away from it. You can't stand it. You're repulsed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would Panigra, which she better than in the left one? Yeah, it could. Like I'm better than, you know, than the worst one. So polarity. It's yeah. a polarity, yes. Well said, Patricia. So I'm just going to see what Merriam-Webster, I have the Merriam-Webster app, which I love. And um, aversion, a feeling of repugnance towards something with a desire to avoid or turn from it. Uh, that's and the pri- that's the primary definition. Uh, the B definition is a settled dislike. Settled? Yeah, a settled dislike. Yeah. Wow, it's like in there. Yeah. And C is a tendency to extinguish a behavior or to avoid a thing or situation, and especially a usually pleasurable one, because it is or has been associated with a noxious stimulus. So, for instance, I remember hearing um, Alec Baldwin saying that he had done a lot of cocaine, and then one time he did too much, and he really... He really injured himself, and he had to recover from it. And then a couple years later, he tried it once again, and he was like, yeah, that's not for me again. Never again. I'm done. So that might be uh, the kind of C definition there. Hmm. Um, so it's a really, uh, it's, a, it's, it's an extreme dislike is the way I think of it. It's, and I think, a, a kind of a revulsion, mm-hmm. a repugnancy, like a visceral reaction, like, oh, God, I can't stand that, is really, I mean, most aversions are in that category, I think, but it could also just be like, oh, no, thank you. So then do we, do we then say, okay, God, help me to, how, where did that come from in me? We can. So one of the most basic things that I think I'm going to need to wear my sunglasses. The reflection is just a little bright for me. Um, uh, So for me, one of the, the most valuable things that I teach in my classes are that we don't have to figure out where the problem, the issue, came from. We don't have to figure out how long we've had it, how it got there. We don't have to figure out how to get rid of it. We don't have to figure (coughs) out who contributed. None of that is part of our work 
authentic feeling. It's just not. We can, sometimes it makes it, seems to make it easier or faster to let something go when we know how it got there, when we know some details of it. But that's really only helpful to the ego. Because think of it this way, your higher self already knows all of that. Only your ego is in the dark, oh, okay. right? Your higher okay. self knows everything. It really does. So, and, and your higher self is connected to the knower who knows everything, right? The I am present. So, let's say you have an aversion to um, people who are loud. And you don't know where it comes from. It could come from a past life. It could come from uh, something in your childhood. But you don't know. You don't recall it. You could spend a lot of time and energy and even money trying to figure it out. But it's really not necessary. Okay. It's just absolutely not necessary. And that that's one of the things that has been most helpful to me in this journey of healing is realizing that so I just that's why I just started to and those of you who've been in class with me and listening to my radio show you know this that I say Holy Spirit please take this out of my mind so I never think it again I'm done with it I'm willing to let it go I'm ready to let it go and please offer the same healing to anyone else who has this. Okay. So sharing it in the oneness. And I have found that when I am sincere enough to be 51% willing to let it go, it will go. So 51% is the majority. Okay. Right? That's all we have to be is 51% willing. In the fear and conflict section of the course, in chapter 2, section 6, I think it is, um, Jesus says a couple of things that are really helpful to us. One is, he says, people always ask me to take their fear away. But if I take your fear away, you'll be in this world forever. You'll have no way out. Your fear... The emotional upset that you feel is the indicator, and this is my total paraphrasing, but your emotional upset is the indicator that your thinking is incorrect. If you didn't have the emotional indicator that your thinking was incorrect, you wouldn't know, and you'd just continue, and you'd be lost in time and space forever. So don't ask me to remove the fear. Ask me to remove the causes of fear. And the causes of fear are always some opinion or judgment. Always, always, always. Some false belief. So the upset is what I call the divine alarm clock. <laughs> when the divine alarm clock is going off, that's when you know, oh, you can go right to, oh, I can have a healing. Mm -hmm. This can be my healing opportunity. Yes. Yes. But most of us, when the divine alarm clock is going off, we think, oh, 
This is my self-medicating op opportunity. <laughs> this is my opportunity to run and hide. This is my opportunity to go unconscious. So he says, don't ask me to take the fear away. Ask me to take the cause of the fear away. And if we ask for divine support and, and, and removal of the cause of fear every time we feel it, it's all going to go away. And this is what I talk about in Finding Freedom and in Masterful Living. It's the 10,000 things. So not everyone has taken Finding Freedom yet or Masterful Living, haven't heard me talk about the 10,000 things. And I, 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 I like to put it on a chart, but not having a chart right here. Do you want a chart right there? Oh, yeah, I guess we could lean it up against here if you want to go grab it with some markers. That would be great. Thank you. Maybe somebody can hold the door for her. The inside door. Watch the feed. Thank you, sweet. I do wish we could hold that door open. Yeah, we could. Well, we couldn't figure it out. Just you. <coughs> careful, careful, careful. Are you like this? Uh huh. Well, we can move. Have Steve sitting in front of me. <laughs> share. He has somebody to sit here. True. I could. I'll sit here. True. Well, we did I think it, it would block the wind a little. That's why I was thinking of it. The wind? Yeah. I think so. It'd be good if right I could here. sit right here. Thank you. Can sit here? Thank you very much. All right. All right. So when I started this process of giving everything away to the spirit for healing, when I started this process of giving everything away to the spirit for healing, it felt to me like I had ten thousand thoughts that were malicious and judgmental and uh, <coughs> unkind and unloving and uh, 10,000 thoughts a day that are unkind and unloving, it's overwhelming. And it, I was overwhelmed by my thoughts for sure. And so, but I kept praying and asking spirit, you know, show me the way, show me the way, show me the way. So I, began to realize that my willingness was to speak, and this was before Course in Miracles came into my life, I really began to see my willingness was the key, and that if I had 51% willingness to really let it go, then it could be removed from my mind. So I began to ask Spirit, please take these things out of my mind so I never think them again. 
and I would do it many, many, many times a day. Every time I had, not every time, but many times when I had a negative thought, I would ask Spirit to take it out of my mind forever so I'd never think it again. And I started to notice that I was healing at a very rapid rate, which was amazing and miraculous to me. And so what I realized was, let's say that just 10 times a day, you said you, you had a, a thought that was an attachment, you know, so it was a, a negative thought, a craving, an aversion, addictive compulsive tendency thought, just 10 times a day, right? And so 10 times a day, you meant it, and you gave it to the spiritual healer. That means that at the end of the year, right, the 365 times 10, if you're consistent, mm -hmm. it means that you've got 3,650 a year. If you start with 10,000, it's a three-year plan. <laughs> And that, to me, I saw that and I went, I can do this. Works for me, yeah. <laughs> I can do this. Because if I give away 30 thoughts a day, right, 10 thoughts a day isn't even one per waking hour. Mm -hmm. But let's say you give a couple of per hour away and you mean it. Most of the time, you really can shift your mind. And that's what I found. In three years, I was really at a peaceful mind. I still get annoyed every day. I still feel confused at some point every day. I just was doing some emailing with different members of my team and I'm like, did, didn't I ask for this this way? Did I? Yes, you did. But it wasn't done that way? No, it wasn't done that way. Okay, well, what's, so what's, what's happening here? <laughs> well, you know, and that's life, right? Mm. I can be annoyed or frustrated by it. Or I can be like, let's just get to the bottom of it. You know, what what part of, you know, my request wasn't clear? Why, you know, just let's figure it out. Because sometimes people have way better ideas than I do, and that's fine. I wouldn't wish to discourage that. So let's just get to the bottom of it. But stuff happens every day, right? It's up to me if I take it personally or not. So when I saw it's a three-year plan, and I was in my mid-40s, I said, three years is nothing. You know, it's a little bit more when you haven't lived 40 years, but when you're at in your <laughs> 40s, three years is nothing, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's so helpful to realize this, and you can hold this with your client, you know, because once you really have mastered this, and it's not hard to master. It only requires one thing. Willingness, exactly. Willingness to actually employ the technique. And the willingness to be willing, which is why I made the willingness cards. Yeah. So I gave everybody a set of willingness cards in a bag. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. 
And you get, you both get two for it, too. [laughs] So, um. But you won't know this works until you try it. And the thing is is, if you're not really willing, when you give it to spirit, it's gonna come back. But then you can just take that as oh well, I must not've been fifty one percent. I was twenty percent. I was ten percent. I was five percent. And one of the, here's one thing that you'll see a lot in your clients, a lot a lot a lot that in a sense there's two types. It, and there's cross over but there's two main types that I see in my classes. Those who are coming because they are unhappy and they are in pain and they want to end the pain. They want to be happy. And then the others are consciously on a spiritual journey and their main desire is to know God, to feel connected with God, to be of service to spirit. And it doesn't mean that they don't wish to end their suffering and their pain. But that's not their primary motivator. So that's really a better way to say it, there's two primary motivators. Ending your pain or connecting with spirit. That's what I see in my folks, in my classes, in my clients. And I was saying in the stop playing small retreat that the first one of the first conversations I had with a marketing expert, they were trying to evaluate what I was doing and she asked me are you a aspirin or a vitamin. It's a great question and and people come to me to help end their pain, that's the aspirin. And then other people come, they're looking for the vitamin. Yeah, it depends on your perspective. So I like to say that I of instead of offering aspirin to people, I offer the vitamins that heal the cause of the pain. Like the spiritual growth tools I offer people and their pain. Because really, we can either grow through the pain or we can grow through spiritual expansion. And A Course in Miracles is very clear about that, you can learn through pain or you can learn through joy. Learning through joy is faster and heck, it's joyful. But it's up to us, we choose. One is very slow and one is very fast. It also says that pain is a wrong perspective. Because you'll have many clients who are coming to you with a great deal of pain, you may still feel a great deal of pain. Pain is not wrong or bad, it's an indicator that our thoughts are incorrect. And we're all on a journey of healing our false beliefs. So, the pain is just an indicator that there is an opportunity for expansion, that we're we're being triggered, we're encountering a belief and it's a golden opportunity to have a healing. Nothing wrong or bad is happening when we're in pain. 
I, I don't look at it that way anymore. Because if you were in some kind of a situation, let's say, where your arm or your leg or your finger or one of your limbs or some part of your body was being pinched and the blood flow was <coughs> cut off and that limb was atrophying, wouldn't you want to get a wake-up call of some kind of pain, something, right? Wouldn't you prefer that to just realizing, oh no, my my limb atrophied and now it has to be cut off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd much rather have a painful experience to realize, oh, I need to get some blood flowing in here. So I'd like to, anybody have any questions about that? Has anybody had the experience of offering up maybe many times uh, something that was painful and noticed that it went away? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us anything about it? Um, okay, there's been quite a few. I think the most dramatic healing of my life, this is a big confession, this is very personal. Um, We're all confidential here, 100%. I, um... So I, I lived in a family where there, there was a lot of pressure to be very good looking. I was the ugly duckling. And um, and to be very skinny and I was very chubby. <laughs> and when I was 15, um, I became bulimic. Um, and, um, and it was kind of a, a living hell. And... Um, when I was 27, I went, I was living in Australia and I, I went, uh, I was living in England and in England I, um, I got really into um, a particular spiritual group and in, a, in and um, I was a nanny and I, and I had a lot of, lot of responsibility and I couldn't go out a lot at night and that kind of thing, but um, so I got a book. I got that book um, by John Bradshaw about shame, where he talks about, um, where he takes you through the 12-step program. And so over a period of about three months, um, with, um, you know, the help of all the spiritual practices I was doing and um, and the 12-step program, doing it all by myself, um, it just fell away. It just absolutely fell away. Um, and you know, and it hasn't happened since, and I just forget that it ever happened. And um, I some, you know, I've had symptoms <laughs> that are a result because you, you know, you get the, you get the bill mm-hmm. for everything that you've done in your youth. Um, so you know, I've had problems with my stomach and teeth and, and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of act, the actual act itself. Um, I really prayed so much and, and you know, it's, I worked hard at it, (laughs) 
and handed it over so many times, but it completely fell away. Yeah, and I, you know, and actually, as it turns out, and I knew it, we all knew it at the time, there were a lot of girls in at school who had the same issue, and, um, you know, the, I've bumped into them since. And I had a conversation with one of them about two and a half years ago. And she said she, she still had the, the problem. And, um, and I said, I, oh, she said, what about you? And I said, no, no, I haven't, no, it's just completely fell away. And she said, no, 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 it can never leave you. It's like you're an alcoholic, it's a day by day thing. It's, you know, it never, you never recover. There's just no chance that you can recover. And I said, yes, you can, mm -hmm. you can recover. And she said, well, how did you do it? And I said, well, like I didn't want to get into a big long explanation, mm -hmm. so I said, well, kind of through prayer. And she, <laughs> um, and she, we were at a party, and it was like talking prayer at a party, and <laughs> she just like looked at me and then turned her back and walked away, mm. and uh, you know has not spoken to me since. It okay. was just like, yeah. But um, you're not saying you don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. She may be really curious and thinking about it and stuff. Yeah, she may have planted yeah. seeds. You have and no I, idea. I'm not judging her, but oh no, I, I um, absolutely. But it's in her mind, you know. It went in her mind, and but it worked for you. Yeah, I think that's powerful. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. is. Yeah, yep. And uh, you know, and I know so many people around me. They're they're children, not just girls have that issue these days because I think it has exponentially risen the mm. cases of it because of you know having to look good for social media it's the pressure is so much worse nowadays um, yeah and <coughs> and I feel like saying to them all you know like a, a, I was working in a bank and I felt like saying to the executives there they'd talk you know they it would come out that you know that one of their daughters had an issue and I felt like going there's hope there's hope she can get over it but I wasn't in a position I where I, I could even hard. let them know that I it, you know I had healed yep yeah yeah one of the things that I see happening for many people is whatever your trauma and drama was can become the place where you have a gift to share with people you know so maybe that would be something that you would write about or speak about or see clients about mm. um, it's for me my family was very judgmental and uh, and it w I, I grew up thinking it was really just a a smart thing to be, you know, the because the person who has the most intense judgment definitely wins. Mm. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's just practicality. Be the most judgmental person, you know, and be clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just put that aside for this minute. Just put it right in there. Just lay it on the floor. Thank you, Steve. So, um, and now I see it as my opportunity 
I, I experienced a, the feeling of the healing all the way through my ancestry because I intended it to heal my whole ancestry of it by receiving it as a gift and and really deciding to heal it in myself and and there's no question in my mind that what was so painful to me before is now the gift that I can share with everyone anyone who's interested and I, I just see that what I share is is really helpful to people and that people can really change their lives so quickly when they're when they have the courage to recognize which of their thoughts are judgmental and which are not which are true and which are false a tremendous tremendous opportunity for healing and th if they have the courage <coughs> to really love it's extraordinary and <coughs> that that's what true forgiveness is and forgiveness really is the way out of hell 100 percent and it's all within our power and uh, and I've seen people truly because I, I have had clients that when they came to me I I had no experience with what their life had been you know I've had clients who were locked in closets by their family and beaten with two by fours and raped and repeatedly mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. years I mean just horrible horrible things that left them profoundly scarred and I've I've watched them recover and lead protect productive lives and and no longer um, self-medicating and really transforming and and forgiving. It's and crazy because most people don't have like the concepts of like the quotes and words behind mm -hmm. like the idea of forgiving. When you say these people, the, yeah, the people that were like raped and put in closets and stuff like that. I mean, that's intense. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> just like oh, Jesus Lord, you know. Yeah. You know, because it's like because you know there's hundred, there's fifty one percent willing to let that go. You can imagine that there's not a whole lot of ability to let that go. You know, in some cases because it's just so overwhelming and overwhelming. Um, where do you we just we start with them just by like letting them tell the story because it's yet again there it is I mean you, it is just give them so much time to tell the story and say okay well we're not your story I mean you can do that with somebody who's kind of spiritually oriented but not with somebody who is really that wounded well a lot of people who are really that wounded they don't want to tell their story a lot they don't they really don't they want to move on yeah, they want to get out of the pain. They do. They don't yeah, want to think about it anymore. They don't want to relive it anymore. Want it to be in that. Yeah. Oh it's wow. Yeah. It's extremely intense. Yeah. And um, and also the ones I've worked with, they have accepted this is what happened. It is what happened. And so the work is really to uh, develop their sense of self worth that they're worth more than that because when when you treat mistreat a child the child thinks that they deserve it oh yeah. they have no perspective oh yeah. they think why else would their family treat yeah. them that way if mm -hmm. they didn't deserve it mm -hmm. so 
Yeah. I noticed um, a lot of the, not a lot, but some of the uh, groups of Church of Miracles people were curious to the prison and send books to the prison and sometimes do talks and stuff like that. Pretty rough people like that. Mm-hmm. Same type of thing, they want to go on. Yeah. They, they want to move on. They yeah. Move on. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, too, is you really will notice that like attracts like. They may not seem like you in the beginning, (coughs) but um, you will realize that uh, like attracts like on, on some level. And it may not be obvious in the beginning. And one of my, um, let's see, let me just pull up my Course in Miracles here. Because I think this is a really valuable thing. In case you don't know, I, I made an app. Um, it's a free app that has all the books. It has the three main, um, the manual for teachers. So in the manual for teachers, uh, chapter two is called, who are their pupils, right? Because one of the things that sometimes when you're in this position, you begin thinking about, well, how will I get clients? Who are my clients? And who are their pupils? Yeah, who are their pupils? So it says, <coughs> so again, this is chapter two in the, te- in the manual for teachers. Certain pupils have been assigned to each of God's teachers. Now, uh, uh, someone who is God's teacher, um, what it says, <laughs> opening the app, mm-hmm. um, what it says is that uh, you're one of God's teachers if at any point in your life you recognized that your needs were not separate from someone else's. In other words, if you had a moment in your life experience where you recognized the oneness, that then you're a teacher. So it says, certain peoples have been assigned to each of God's teachers and they will begin to look for him as soon as he has answered the call. So your clients are going to look for you. They're going to look for you. It says, they were chosen for him, the teacher, because the form of the universal curriculum that he will teach is best for them in view of their level of understanding. His pupils have been waiting for him, for his coming is certain. Again, it is only a matter of time. Once he has chosen to fulfill his role, they are ready to fulfill theirs. Time waits on his choice, but not on whom he will serve. When he is ready to learn, the opportunities to teach will be provided for him. So when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? When the teacher teacher is ready, the student student will will appear. And and of course, Jennifer, we're we're sitting here formally in this role, but I mean, this this as well. I mean, somebody could be like a bank teller or something like that and still be teaching. 
Oh, God, yes. Right. So for, you know, they'd be sitting down having a cup of coffee, and actually they're they're ready to right. hear from somebody. That's mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that we have to be teaching as mm-hmm. right. we're looking at our role. Yeah, mm-hmm. well said. So the the it says the form of the universal curriculum that he will teach will be perfect for that student. And so uh, that I found really comforting because then I said, well, I don't have to figure out the perfect marketing plan. God's already got that figured out. And many, 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 many people over the years have told me, you know, when I heard you, I just was like, oh, yeah, that's that's the person who's speaking to me. A lot of people have said that to me. And I know when I heard my teacher's voice, I went, whoa, like just the sound of her voice. I turned to my best friend I was sitting next to, and I said, where did she come from? She knows, she knows, she knows, she really, really knows. And I had not heard that quality in anybody's voice before. Someone who knew at such a deep level the truth. So, I... I, I just think it's a huge relief that our job is to be willing to do what we feel called to do. That's it. Just be willing to do what we feel called to do. And then our willingness helps us to recognize the instruction. The, uh, uh, our willingness helps us to recognize the guidance, the direction, the uh, vibration of where it is we're being invited to. And one of the things I say in, in Finding Freedom and Masterful Living and in my radio show all the time is if you feel that you are trying to figure it out, if you feel that you are trying to understand it, relax. Relax your mind because that actually is a block to knowing. When you're in a place of trying to figure it out, you're actually blocking the, the discovery of it because it will be revealed to you according to your willingness. It really will. And um, A Course in Miracles, I remember I did a radio show on this last year. I forget what it was called. I could look it up. But it was about trying to make things happen. And in the course it says, you know, you don't have to make things happen. In fact, you can't. So don't try. Just move into that allowing. Allowing what you'd like to experience to come forward. Calling it forth. Accepting it. Receiving it. Following the guidance. Participating. Uh, the ego is always trying to make things happen because the ego has no creative power. So it's always desperate to influence and to control and to manipulate and to make things happen. But when we're in touch with spirit, we don't need to do any of those things. We can allow the healing to unfold. We can allow ourselves to be led and guided. Any thoughts or questions?
suppose when you said that, you know, um, our form of the universal curriculum will be perfect for the student, well, that includes all spiritual paths, doesn't it? And po possibly, because I have a bit of a thing ag against the New Age too, because it's about manifesting in the world instead of waking up from the world. And, um, but that, that kind of, I mean, New Age has its perks, right? And it's within that curriculum. You know, let's <laughs> let's define New Age here for a moment because um, we're at the dawn of the age of Aquarius, right? Mm. I mean, we're really at the still at the dawn of the age of Aquarius. That wonderful song from Hair, right? <laughs> and it's true. It is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. So we're moving from the Piscean age of which Jesus was the avatar. He was the one that shepherded us into the Piscean Age and through the Piscean Age. Each age is about 2,300 years-ish. So he came along uh, towards the beginning of the Piscean Age and his teachings uh, really, and, and Buddha, you know, Buddha too, the Buddha helped bring in the Piscean Age also, he, you know, laid the groundwork and then Jesus came in and laid in on top of it. And um, now we're moving out of the Piscean Age. And the Piscean Age, as far as I'm aware, is really about moving into personal responsibility and moving back to uh, uh, union with God. When did you say it? The no, the Piscean Age. Yeah, the, the age that we're just moving out of, mm. right? And now we're moving into the Aquarian age, which is more about universal and being part of a, the oneness. And so, uh, and as far as I know, S Master Saint Germain is the avatar of the Aquarian age. So we're literally in a page of new, a, per a period of new age. So to me, the new age is this period of moving from one age to another. And we're in the new age period, mm. that, that, that movement. So I'm, I'm never quite sure what, uh, I, I'm not against using the term new age, but I'm never quite sure what people mean by it. Okay, well, it wasn't in that sense. It's in the sense um, where I feel like Shivali uses it. Where Vishali. Vishali. Sorry. I'm dyslexic, one of those. I'm not actually dyslexic, but that was a moment of it. Where I think it's people who are really into like you know, superfoods, and I mean, we are too, probably most of us, um, you know, um, but I think for me, the distinguishing thing about New Age, the, the New Age movement, um, which kind of started in like the 1980s, which got big in the 1980s, um, the distinguishing feature is um, they're all about manifesting mm. in the world what mm. the ego wants getting what you want like the secret to me the secret is a new age mm. kind of a movie um whereas um you know the 
Aquarian age is about waking up from the dream, mm-hmm. not improving the dream, fixing the dream. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I just disagree with that. That's my beef with it as well. And I mean, and a lot, a lot of my friends, um, you know, especially in Sedona, California, anywhere I've been, quite honestly, there's a lot of very psychic people. And just because they're psychic doesn't mean they're spiritual. It just means they're psychic. Right. It depends on what realm they're tapping into, you know. And, and, and they mm. just, because they're tapping into a voice, they think it's God. And it's like, and, and of course, it's very, int- it's very alluring and very int- intriguing if that's not your experience. So, uh, but who, who the heck are they really talking to, you know? Um, you know, but th- you know what it's to me, too. It's like, we're all, this, we're all ascending and waking up together. Uh, kind of, but not really. We're all kind of consciousness is rising, but we still need to wake up on our own. It's not going to be with this 51% of mm. us woke up and now we're all enlightened. I mean, that's mm. just ridiculous thinking that's out there. Mm. And, and somebody who literally said to me, we missed our ascension date. I said, you did? How would you know? How did you know? <laughs> well, because I, d- I woke up and she described Utopia. She was in Utopia. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding. You know, we know we all were, we, we, we didn't all have like all the same amount of money in our bank accounts. And I'm like, you're going to wake up to this one day? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm like, oh, okay. At least now I knew where she was coming from. And I was like, it's really interesting. Uh, that is, that's what I call new age. It's, it's not grounded in the first step in Christ and Buddha and every other enlightened being I'm aware of is in all seven chakras above and below. They're not in, they're not blissed out going, la la la, like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get it. I really do. I was reading in the course this morning or yesterday uh, where it says uh, we're all going to get there and that everyone will will get there mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. question and that it, it can't be you know we can't all arrive uh, no one can arrive unless we all arrive in in the state of pure awareness that return to our natural state and for me it's very helpful to always keep the oneness in mind and for me, I really have come to see that that what's most helpful for me is to always think, how can I extend and include my brothers and my sisters and not exclude them? And I see that for many people, uh, it's part of the awakening process is to realize about manifestation a valuable story that uh, really uh, was helpful to me was one that uh, Michael Beckwith told us in class where he said that there was a woman who came from India who became part of the Agape community and she'd been sent by the guru in her ashram. She was the number two person in leadership in the ashram and the guru had said, Go to America, and uh, and then I'll I'll call you to come back here. And according to Michael Beckwith, she her feeling was I don't want to go to America. I want to stay at the ashram. And the guru said, No, you have to go to America, and there's something for you there. Mm-hmm. So she ended up in the Agape community in Los Angeles, where she was dysfunctional. She didn't was having trouble earning money and having a car and having a home 
in these different basic fundamentals of life. And so people were aware that her mind was really open and she was very awakened in her consciousness, but she couldn't manifest what she needed when she needed it. And so through the classes, she realized, oh, I need to learn manifestation. It's not enough just to be very vast in your mind. You have to be able to manifest what you need when you need it. So in the couple years she was there, she learned that. She learned how to work with the mind to manifest what you need. And then when she really had mastered that, the guru called her home. And then he, he died and, and left her in charge of the ashram. Okay. But the guru knew that he couldn't leave her in charge of the ashram if she couldn't manifest things. Because how can she be the leader of a community? You can't manifest what the community needs when it needs it. So ma learning manifestation, part of learning manifestation for most people, I'll say, is that you become enamored of it. You become da mm. dazzled by it, right? Just like people, sometimes people who are very beautiful in, in their physicality or have a great gift, like their voice or their ability to make art or something like that, people become dazzled by things and they think it makes them special, right? Specialness. And it's that's how they are healing these patterns in their mind. Thinking, uh, so some people get very enamored of manifesting things, and then they go through some experience that helps them to realize that this is just false idolatry, manifesting all these things and, and, and feeling special because I'm so good at manifesting, that it's, it's just... It's just ego. It's hubris, mm -hmm. and it's but but through that experience, they develop humility and they realize it's not worthwhile. So one of the examples of that is that guy who was in the secret, who um, I think his name was James Ray, and he was the one who uh, was doing these expensive seminars. And he was having these um, sweat lodges. He was in secret? Mm -hmm. he, he was in secret? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was on Oprah, he was on Larry King, he was in that whole... And he, and he ended up having allegedly dying in a, in a sweat lodge, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, what was his first name? James. Okay. James Ray, I, I think his name Ray. was. I, I didn't know. Yeah. Something Ray. Yeah, and he... Um, so... Um, what happened was uh, he he was doing these sweat lodges but in order to cut corners instead of doing it the Native American way he had it done a different way and it, it got too hot and people were asking to be let out and he wouldn't let them out and people died and people were injured and the thing is that Native American wise when people want out, they let you out. Yeah. Mm. He was going against everything about a sweat lodge mm -hmm. you could possibly go against. Mm -hmm. Many, you know, so it's like, mm -hmm. hello. Mm -hmm. And at the time that that incident happened, he <coughs> had just bought a multi-million dollar home in, in Beverly Hills kind of a thing. So he was very full of his success. Right. He had manifested all these things. And a girlfriend of mine had, and he went to jail. He went to jail. And I think he's out of jail now. 
and back teaching. Amazing your students. It is amazing. Um, but, you know, your students have been assigned to you. Your students have what? Been, been assigned been to you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Maybe you learned something in jail. Presumably, right? Presumably. So uh, what was interesting to me is that in terms of A Course in Miracles, and this has already been written, is that a year or so before he was arrested and jailed because uh, of that sweat lodge incident, uh, a girlfriend of mine had gone to hear him speak. And where at in, in, that in his talk, he was saying that he had a very strong intention to be world famous. And he had, he had, you know, written a book and been on The Secret and been on Oprah and all of these things. And he said, you can, he was teaching manifestation. You can manifest through the law of cause and effect. Through the law of cause and effect, you can manifest what you'd like. And here's how. And it's true. You can do that. However, if you look at it from a spiritual perspective, and you go back to our conversation earlier about the high side and the low side, right? So think of it, uh, this is how I saw it. As soon as she said that he wanted to be world famous, and I thought, and he's infamous. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Infamous, infamous, right? Ah. The infamous ah. James Wright. Right. So yes, he's <coughs> he's more famous because of what the yeah because yeah. of his ego than because of what he was sharing that could be helpful to people because of the way he worked with it. So what he did was he taught the law of cause and effect, just like was in his script. He could have taught the high side of it, but he taught the low side of it. But either way, he was still following his dharma teaching the law of cause and effect. And so I, I see that play out all the time, that we can teach the high side, we can teach the low side, right? So for me, this is why I pray for the highest and best all the time. I pray to see the highest choices all the time. I am looking for that. And this is what I'm inviting you to hold for your clients, to hold for yourself. The bird's like, yeah, take, 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 take. <laughs> <laughs> take, take. It's the symphony. It's so beautiful. And so, um, because people who feel disconnected from spirit will settle for the low side. And it's like we see that in President Trump. And I'm, I'm not against President Trump at all. I just, he's such a um, strong example of certain egotistical things. And that he's all, you know, no matter what we do, we're always teaching the efficacy of our choices. Always, always teaching these are the benefits of our choices. So we can teach the benefits of being loving and being kind and being patient and being compassionate, or we can teach the benefits of being unkind and being belligerent or lying or being deceitful or selfish. We get to choose, but no matter what we're choosing, we're always teaching everyone around us the benefits of our choices. 
100% of the time. So that's why the Course tells us, teach only love, mm -hmm. for that is what you are. Mm -hmm. And love is our healer. I wrote about this in my blog the other day. Maybe it was even today. <laughs> I lose track of it. It's like even if I wrote it today, did I write it today? Um, <laughs> so the love is the healer because love is our true identity. So when we're making loving choices, compassionate choices, when we're extending love, we're reminding ourselves who we are. Mm -hmm. We're coming back to our original vibration. And that's recalibrating us to see more loving choices, to hear more loving choices, to perceive more loving choices. So that's why love is the healer. And it's the only healer because love is what we are. So every time we make a loving choice, we're getting closer to what we are, closer to uh, our complete awakening. It's the only path. It's through loving choices. There's no other path of awakening. It's just through loving choices. So judging anyone is hurtful to ourselves because it's an unloving choice. Mm -hmm. So for me, James Ray is a powerful example of what what they've been teaching in the kundalini classes that you have your karma and you have your dharma so your i i teach that your karma is your belief system so your experiences in the past have in a sense coagulated into your belief system and your dharma is that script that of course america tells you has already been written and that script for your life that's already been written it has so many choices in it because if in this moment you have the choice to be rude to be unkind to be loving to go out of your way to be compassionate to be helpful to be understanding you have this myriad of choices well if you are truly compassionate and extending love that's going to open up a whole nother series of choices. If, oh, you, if you choose to um, be rude and unkind and judgmental, that's going to actually <sighs> force you to repeat uh, lessons that you clearly haven't learned from the past. So how you move out of repeating the same painful lessons is through forgiveness and extending love and
the resistance to that. Being in New York as other people's as county place for other places, it's as if like a mountain I climbed because I'm like, I don't want to do all that. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe it's because I'm being asked to do all that. I'm like, like nope, I don't want to. <laughs> or maybe it's just that I want to manifest something that's completely different. So I'm getting clear on that, but but whether it like me feeling like, yeah, but anyway, manifesting a different form of life it seems foreign at this point to me. Because I'm just on this trajectory, right? You know, um, so it just seems like I'm taking away from teaching. If also what else I know, I'm putting my cause and effect, my actions over here to manifest. You know, whatever it's going to take for me to go from one trance that I couldn't behave before. Again, it's an allowing. Not a, not it a is. It is that allowing. It is a s- surrender. Um, I, I laugh when uh, occasionally people have emailed me or said things on Facebook like, you're just in it for the money, and I'm like, so where's the money? Where's all that money you're talking Yeah, about. why am I building a free app for $20,000 or whatever <laughs> if, if I'm in it for the money? Wouldn't I buy a house or something <laughs> instead, you know? Um, but uh, <laughs> for me... What I have learned for me is to consistently just say, guide me, lead me, lead me, guide me. And remember I told the story about when I uh, was in the spiritual counseling training to be a science of mind practitioner at Agape, I said, I do not want to see clients. However, (laughs) I will agree if you send them, I will see them. And then they just started coming, and then more and more. And so I was like, oh, okay. But then sitting with the clients, I realized this is really helpful, not just to them, but it's helpful to me. It's helpful to everyone. And so I, I just went with the flow. So that's, that's another aspect of it is to open our minds to have no resistance and no reluctance. So like you... I prayed for years just to release the resistance and the reluctance. My resistance and reluctance is what I see in many, many people around me is we don't feel worthy. We don't feel worthy of our magnificence. We don't feel worthy of it. And so we resist. I I for sure did not want to be standing on a stage and talking. I did not want that because I did not, I just knew that there would be this huge amount of bullshit in it and somewhere, some way, somebody would come up and go, you were full of it. And you know who did? Um, my brother. He, would, he said to me one time years ago, <laughs> he came up to me and he said, you can fool all these people that you're a nice person but I know who you really are, and you cannot fool me. But at the time he said that to me, I was like, he's deeply wounded by the person that I was, Mm -hmm. by the way my personality was. And I know in my heart of hearts that's not who I am, and that's not who I'm going to be anymore. And he will recognize it when he recognizes it. And that's, I don't need to prove it to him. So for me, one of the things I saw was 
that this resistance and this reluctance really came from not being congruent. And so um, I used to sit there at Agape listening to people speak and <coughs> I'd be with my hands folded across my chest and my legs crossed and I'd think to myself, I know that, I know that, I know that. Jeez, where do they, these people come from? These people don't know anything. I know all that they're sharing. They're not sh saying anything I don't know. And then one day I realized if I knew it, I would welcome it. Like I, I, I notice that, for instance, when I have the opportunity to sit in a room with David Hoffmeister or Regina Dawn Akers or somebody whose teachings I really love, I love to listen to those two, particularly David. And when David is speaking truth, I'm you'll you'll notice I'm there in the room and I'm going, or whoever it might be, Alan Cohen, or just whoever's speaking at the time that I'm really uh, think they're speaking truth. I'm gonna sit there and I'm you'll hear me going, that's right. <laughs> Amen. You know brother. exactly. Amen, Amen to that. Hallelujah. Thank you. That's another one of my favorites. Thank you. <laughs> And I'm so excited. <laughs> I never think I know that. Never think that anymore. I always just am like, yes, bring it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be in the room where the truth is being spoken. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting there going, oh, come on. <laughs> you know? We go on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when someone gets up there and they don't really know it and they're pretending that mm -hmm. they know it, now I'm just like, yeah, I know what that says. <laughs> you know, it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's becoming congruent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it totally yeah. is like, I get yeah, it. I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. You know, been there, done that. Good for you. Well, Keep yeah, going. Don't give up. Step up and we did it. That's mm -hmm. right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I see takes most light workers out of the game <laughs> and keeps them playing small is that they're judging themselves and so they don't feel worthy and they're judging others they're judging their clients all the judgments get in the way and so they play small for the reason that they don't want to influence a large number of people because you're always teaching the efficacy of your choices so if you get up on the stage and you're preaching your judgments, as many preachers do, and you're preaching your judgments and you're preaching your opinions and you are not living in accordance with what you're teaching, then everybody in the room thinks, well, why do I have to be congruent with love? They're not congruent with love and they're the teacher. Mm -hmm. So obviously, that congruency thing is not a real thing. It's more about pretend. It's more about put on an act. Mm. But then when we do that, we don't feel good. We feel sick to our stomach about it, right? Mm -hmm. Solar plexus. So this is the downfall of the, the light worker. And it's the thing that gets James Ray to fall on his face. It's the thing that gets James uh, Jim Bradshaw John Bradshaw. John Bradshaw to fall on his face. Did he fall on his face? Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yeah, oh he yeah. was a screaming drunk. Yeah. Huh. Oh, after he wrote the 
No, that's what caused him to write those books. Oh. His recovery. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, his recovery. He was a priest. Exactly. It is oh, a fantastic a, book. He was a priest first, you said? He was a priest. Mm. And then he, and he was a paper drunk. And then one day he got found out, you know, he was falling down drunk and in front of his parish in some way, shape or form. I forget the details of it. And then, yeah, so then he sobered up and he wrote all these books about shame. Yes, exactly. Amazing. Yes, amazing. I mean, his work is really good. Yeah. And it came at a time when people really needed it. Yeah, I read it. Back oh, in yeah. the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did a whole that PBS the powerful yeah. Yeah. When uh, That's why your ministry is Let me get so my powerful because it's fine. we all can relate to everything <laughs> you're talking about in your past, your other life. Right, because I'm over that's it now. That's why. And, but see, that's what makes it so good. And, and all the books we've read in your classes, it's it's that same thing. Right. It's the experiences of the people that make it authentic until you can believe it, mm. trust it, and, and then follow it, it and yeah. then and do it yourself. You know, follow it yourself because you know it's real and it's true. And if we if the temp if the temperature now that the sun is going that way, if you want to move back inside, <laughs> do you want? Oh no, no, I just need my sweater. <laughs> I'm just gonna go get it. I'm just going to go get my sweater and water. I have a water break. Oops. If I can get my rear end up. That'll be good. <laughs> do we want, do people want to take a, a bathroom break now? What, what time is it? Or 12? What time, what, what, uh, on bathroom break, what time is closing for the evening? For you know, dinner? it depends. I would say 5.30, 6 o'clock. I'll do a bathroom break. <laughs> bathroom break? Let's yeah. do it. <laughs>